Thank you. I invite you to turn back in your scriptures this morning to that Psalm 32 that we read a few minutes ago. Wikipedia says that a cover-up is an attempt, whether successful or not, to conceal evidence of wrongdoing, error, or other embarrassing information. It goes on to say that there are two types of cover-ups. There's a passive cover-up, which was basically someone just not supplying appropriate information. They're just keeping it from people. But an active cover-up is deception. It's purposely going out of your way to deceive people about what the truth really is. And you know as well as I do, there have been plenty of examples in history and even in America in recent years that would fit into the category of a cover-up. Under Reagan, there was the Iran-Contra affair. There's Watergate under Nixon. Um, presidents who have been caught in sexual scandals. There's certainly a lot of political cover-ups that take place and probably more than we would ever imagine. It's not only political, though. It's religious. Pastors who've been caught in affairs and adultery and all kinds of other things. Churches that, as widespread as that, have been deviant in many... And all I have to do is throw out the name uh, Jim Baker or, or Jimmy Swaggart or, or other names in more recent years, and you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Political cover-ups, there's religious cover-ups, and there's corporate ones with Enron and more than that, there's celebrity cover-ups, O.J. Simpson, Bill Cosby, and there's even sports cover-ups. There's the baseball players and the steroids and having hit all the home runs, and Lance Armstrong riding a bike, had all of his medals taken back. I mean, on and on it goes. It's an epidemic in our culture, is it not? However, as great as all those cover-ups are, they are not the biggest ones that have ever taken place in history in fact, the two biggest cover-ups of all time are actually mentioned in the psalm that we just read. The first one is, the biggest cover-up is verse 1, God covering your sin. That is one of the biggest cover-ups, and it's a good one. The second one, not so much, and that's in verse 5, that's you covering up your own sin. Both the word, those verses have the word cover in them, but they couldn't be more antithetical. They couldn't be more opposite of one another. So it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I want you to think about this this morning. The biggest cover-up of all is not political, it's not religious, it's not corporate, it's not Hollywood, it's not financial. The biggest cover-up in history is personal. And it's by every single one of us in this world and in this room Psalm 32, as commentators say, is one of the seven penitential psalms where it is about repenting of your sins. It's about understanding your need to be covered. Many commentators think that the reason King David wrote Psalm 32 was because he was explaining what happened inside of him and in his life when he covered up his own sin, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah murdered to cover up his sin. And it wasn't until, Scripture says, about a year later after his adultery and murder that Nathan the prophet came and told a story to him and brought conviction to David, and he finally came clean and confessed that he was the one. 
See, he wasn't guilty of passive covering up. David was guilty of active. He purposely deceived, and he got away with it for a year and deceived just about everyone except God. And by the way, that's always true. Every one of us here today, as you hear this sermon from Psalm 32, you have to make a choice. And the choice is this. How will you respond to your sinfulness? There's only really two options, to be honest, especially when you come to Psalm 32, and that is this. Either you can cover your sin or God can cover your sin. See, every one of us here need to be covered. And the sooner we find out and understand that reality, the better, because without knowing it, we are miserable inside, as some of you might be not knowing. Most people may not know that, but it may be true. And what the psalmist says is you don't have to be miserable. In fact, the opposite is true, that you can be happy. You can know blessing. You can know gladness. You can know joy on a level that you've never experienced before or possibly never thought that you could if you would couple your blessedness with God's forgiveness. And so David wants to start out with this. The happiest people in the world are those who know they need God's forgiveness, listen, and have it. Is that you? Do you have that kind of happiness? Do you know the joy of knowing that no matter whatever happens in your life, that you have been made right with God, that he has forgiven your sins, that he's covered them? So let's take the time briefly this morning to unpack Psalm 32 and look at the two biggest cover-ups of all time, one at a time. The first one is you covering your sin. The second one, God covering your sin. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, but he's not done yet. He's going to say it a second time. And there's only a very few psalms in all of the Psalter that have a double blessing attached to it, and this is one of them. So for a second time in verse 2, he says, Blessed, and he just says it a different way, the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. See, he uses the word blessing twice. Here's why, hear me. Because he wants to tell you that being forgiven by God is a superior happiness that you can't get anywhere else. Go to the bookstore. All you have to read is put in happiness in Amazon and do a search, and you'll find literally there are hundreds of thousands of books and the reason on happiness, and the reason is, is because everyone wants it. Everyone is desperate for it. And happiness is usually coupled in our mind with anything else but forgiveness in order to get it. Psalm 32 says that the reason we may not have it is because we're looking in the wrong place. David says, let me tell you something from my personal experience and my own sin. Happiness is connected to forgiveness. I think David would say the most fulfilled life belongs to people who have been deeply forgiven by God. Jesus tells us this in no uncertain terms. Don't turn there. But in Luke 7, true story, Jesus as out of the house of Simon the Pharisee. It was a very righteous man on the outside. Everyone would have looked up to him. He would have been a religious figure of his day. And he's at his house. And while they're eating, which was a very intimate, personal thing, a woman from the street walks in, and she lets her hair down, which is, the re- no one in that Jewish culture would have ever done that. If you did that, you were a woman who usually would be of loose morals or so forth. 
She comes in and she comes to Jesus' feet and she's crying and the tears go on his feet and she takes her hair and she wipes his feet and she gives him all the hospitable courtesies that Simon didn't give. These two people, Jesus says, have a completely different view of their own sinfulness. Simon, thinking his life is really put together because he's religious and he doesn't do a lot of the bad things that other people do, sees himself as someone who really doesn't need too much forgiveness. But the woman, who knows who Jesus is and had a, perhaps an interaction with him before this day, knows exactly how much of a sinner is and how much, how much sinner she is and how much she needs his forgiveness. And so she doesn't really care what everyone else in the room thinks. She doesn't care what everyone else is going to see think about her because here's what she knows. I have been deeply forgiven by Jesus and I want everyone to know it and I'm not afraid to show it. Jesus says in response to them these words, the one who has been forgiven little loves little You see, Jesus would say the most loving people in the world are the most forgiven people in the world. There really, when it comes down to it, there are three people in this world, three kinds of people, and maybe you're one of them. There are people who think that they are too bad to be forgiven, that they have done so many things, and they could name it, and perhaps they have committed criminal acts, been to prison, they have done this, and and they have a long list of all the things that they've done, and they think that it's impossible with the life that they've lived and the choices they've made that God could ever forgive someone like them. But then there's another group of people, perhaps bigger, who think they're too good to need deep forgiveness. They may not be perfect. They may not be Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, right? But they are certainly better than most. And in comparison with themselves with others, they would say, hey, I may not have this, but I have done this. And you know, I am pretty good sometimes. See, there are a lot of people in life who think they're too bad to be deeply forgiven or they're too good to need to be deeply forgiven. But there's another group, the group I hope that you're in this morning, and that is people who know they need to be forgiven by God and they have it. They've actually come to him and ask his forgiveness. You see, in our text, if you look at verse 5, if I can jump there first, this whole psalm is filled with a series of three things over and over and over again. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 5, it says three words that describe our sinfulness, and there's three different terms that are used that show us our need to be deeply forgiven. In verse 5, one of them's transgression. It means to rebel against God's authority. There is the word sin itself, which means to miss the mark, which means if you're looking at a target and you're supposed to hit the bullseye, you haven't even come close. The third one is the word iniquity, and it means that there's something crooked in your life. You should be straight, but you have deviated, and it's crookedness that really is the pattern of your life. But then in the same verse... There are three words that describe how God pardons those sins. Those words are forgiven, which means to be lift up or carried off. It's the same word used in Leviticus when the high priest had to take the sins of the people and they put it on the scapegoat and the scapegoat carried the sins of the people and ran out of the the whole camp area where they were at into the wilderness to take away their sins. That's the idea. It's the same word used of the Messiah, In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 12, when it says things like this, that he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, he bears their iniquities. 
forgiven, covered, which means obviously to hide it so that it's not there anymore. And then the last word is count. It counts no iniquity. It's the idea of having debt, debt that you can't pay, and somebody comes along and erases it, pays the debt for you. See, that's what God says. If you think you're too bad, you're not, because if you committed all these kinds of sins, transgression, iniquity, sin, if you've done them, here's what he says. You may have done all of these, but I have all of these. See, I can forgive you, I can cover it, I can make it as if it never happened in your life. I can eradicate your past record. So your sins can be lifted off of you. Your sins can be erased. Your sins can be covered. Wouldn't it be great to be freed from your past? You ever had a criminal record? I sat with a guy down at the shower trailer, and he sat next to me, and we talked for about a half hour, and he was in tears. He was only 22 years old, but he had committed a crime. He had went to jail, and he said, Pastor Walker, I have tried for a year. I cannot get a job. So you know what he said to me? He goes, I'm going to go back to selling drugs from which I got into prison in the first place. You know why? Because it's unjust. And he wasn't doubting the fact that he had done crime. But he said, you know, once I have, everyone has written me off. Wouldn't it be great to know that God has never written you off? See, freed from your past criminal records, driving records, credit card records, Sin records. Wouldn't it be great to not have to live in the past looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life? See, your sins can be lifted. They could be, you could have a clean record. And then he says purposely, your sins can be covered. It is a definite, deliberate reference to Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve were put in the garden. They were absolutely righteous. They had never sinned. And God gave them many blessings, but one prohibition. And the one thing God said you can't do, they did. They ate from the tree and they sinned. They rebelled against God, transgression. They committed iniquity. They were crooked, right? And they missed the mark totally of what God wanted them to do. And in doing so, here's what happened to them. They realized that they were naked. See, before they hadn't. They realized, therefore, that they needed to be covered. So you know what they did? They made themselves fig leaves. You know why? They couldn't stand to be uncovered no one in this room can. That's why, as sinners, we all make fig leaves. Why? Because we need to control how people see us. We need to control what people see in our lives. We don't want people to see what we think, what we feel, what's really going on inside of us, what we do when no one else is around. We don't want people to see that. So we desperately want to cover it up. And so here's what we do. We just make fig leaves. We pretend to be something that we're not. And so we, when we are exposed, what happens? We feel guilt and we feel shame and we don't like it. So it doesn't matter who you are, what century you live, what culture you come from. You don't believe me? So let me ask you this. Why do you keep spinning the truth about yourself to others? Why do you exaggerate? Why do you say more than is really true? Why do you always seem to be better than you really are to others? Why is it that you're constantly putting up a front in your life and you really won't ever let anyone get really close? You know why? Because if they did and you were transparent, 
that you might actually see you for who you really are and the things that take place? Why is it that we can't take criticism? Why is it that some of you are killing yourself at your job? Is it really just to be a success? Is it really just to have things? Or is there something more to it? There are so many people, and I've met them, that they are doing everything they can, and they are so desperate to be thin, to be beautiful, that when people look at them, they can say, oh, yes, she is, he is. Why do we do it? All those things and more, because we're covering. It's a cover for ourselves. It's a way of hiding. It's a way of dealing with the fact that deep down, you and I know something is wrong, and we are scared, scared that someone's going to expose it and people are going to see the real me. You don't think this is powerful? Now go back and look at verses 3 and 4 in the text. What happens when people sow fig leaves, put up a front, deceive actively as a cover-up most of their lives when they're around others? If you live that kind of a lifestyle, where will it take you? Look what he says the consequences of covering up are. They are physical, verse 3. His bones wasted away. I have talked to people full of fear, worry, anxiety, depression, and it is wrecking them. They have stomach aches, anxiety attacks. They can't be around people in the crowds. You know why? Because they are covering up. It's emotional, verse 3. Groaning all day long. Groaning, depressed. They don't understand that they have any future because is this all there is? Is this how I have to live the remainder of my life? It's spiritual. God's hand was heavy on me because they're trying to cover their own sin and they won't let God into their lives. So spiritually, they feel this weight constantly pressing on them because they know their life should be different and they want to be different, but they can't be different. It's psychological, verse 4. It's like the analogy of, and we can feel it right outside, right? Your strength drying up in the season of a hot summer. We all know that. Listen, it's, see, you go outside today and feel how hot it is and don't drink water and stand out there or run around for a few hours. You'll know what I'm talking about, but he's not talking about physical. He's talking about, see, how hot on the inside, how dried up are you, parched, you're thirsty, you want something out of life, true happiness, but you can't find it. I would ask you this morning, wouldn't it be incredible if you didn't have to cover up anymore? If you didn't have to defend yourself, if you didn't have to be right if you didn't have to spin the truth, if you didn't have to constantly overwork to prove your worth, if you didn't have to undereat to prove to everybody that you're beautiful, if you didn't have to always worry that every day when you look in the mirror that you're going to see something incredibly disappointing, wouldn't it be great if God covered your sin? Pastor Walker, what does it mean? Because based on what you said, I need it. What does it mean for God to cover my sin instead of me covering my sin? Well, that's what verses 5 through 11 of Psalm 32 are all about. And it's really a process. Look at the text. Verse 5 says this. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover it up. Can you see the two? Put them side by side. God covered my sin, verse 1. Verse 5, I did not cover my sin. See, here, here's the choice laid out right there for you. It's either God covering your sin or you covering it. And coming to be right with God and letting him cover it means you have to stop it. 
How do I do that, Pastor Walker? I repent. What does that mean? It means I say what God says about my sin. That's what the word means in the New Testament. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's the word homologion. It means to say the same thing. You have to start saying what God says about your sin, not what culture says, not what your best friend says, but what God says about it. See, when you come to the place where you want God to cover your sin, here's what will be true. You will stop blame shifting for all the things you do wrong. You'll stop saying things like, well, you know, it's not really my fault. Or, you know, my parents didn't do a very good job of raising me. And the friends I have, they are such a horrible influence. And all the extenuating circumstances. You know, we grew up very poor. And and, and there are always excuses, isn't there? But see, the first step of getting right with God and having him cover your sin is to stop making those excuses and to take responsibility for your own sin by doing what? By acknowledging and confessing to God, you are absolutely right about who I am. You have to stop defining in a way, and that's what our culture has done. They have taken things biblically and even culturally that have been sins forever, and now people say, oh, they're not wrong. You can say that now. I had someone not that long ago try to convince me that you could say all the bad cuss words you want and then nothing's wrong because they're just words. And our culture has tried to redefine what is right and wrong. It goes against God's standards of right and wrong. What marriage is, what gender is, what life is all about. See, they've redefined everything. But when you come to God and you want him to cover up your sins and find true happiness, you don't define it away. You begin to say this, it is really wrong. I'm really wrong. You stop saying this. Well, everybody's doing it. Everybody's like that. I don't know too many people who would say that, Pastor Walker, aren't you a little archaic? Isn't that antiquated? That's traditional morals. Those have gone out the window a long time ago. But see, I am good sometimes. And so we try to compare ourselves or rationalize or minimalize. And all of that goes out the window when you stop covering your sins and want God to. See, Genesis 3 was about making fig leaves because they had to cover up their sin. And when God came to talk to them on that day, here's what the Bible says. Listen. And they hid themselves from the presence of God, Genesis 3, 7. God, obviously knowing where they were and what had happened, but he asked questions. He doesn't indict them. Interesting. God comes to them, and Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? He knows he's not looking for information. He's looking for transformation. He brought you here this morning. You know why? He wants to ask you the same question. Where are you? It's not that he doesn't know. It's that you don't know. So he says, where are you? And here's what Adam says. I hid myself. Why did he hide himself? Listen, because I was naked and I was afraid. Now listen, I've read the Bible. It's pretty obvious. They were naked every day. So why is that the reason? If they were naked, why didn't they hide themselves before now? The answer is it was more. There was something going on below skin deep, right? Below that. Here's what it was. Adam and us, we can't stand to be transparent before God. 
We can't. Because we can't control what he can see. We can't control what he knows about us. And when we lose control, we don't like it. And so here's what we do. We become the Lord of our lives. We take over. You ever had a job that you were unqualified or unqualified for? When I retire, if that ever happens for ministry, I think I'm going to be a car mechanic. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm going to give it a whirl. And you might think, Pastor Walker, listen, you can't even put together anything, right? That's why I would never have been on the ark construction crew because they would have never made it. You know I can't do it, but you know, if they ask me, hey, would you like to be the chair, the foreman or whatever the term is for this construction site? I go, are you, are you serious? I, I know nothing about it. I have no experience. I have no knowledge. I have no ability. And above all this, I don't want everybody looking over my shoulder, constantly looking at all the mistakes that I'm making because there are going to be so many. That's all I'm going to be doing. Let me tell you this. Every time that you take over and become the Lord of your life, you are taking a job that you are incredibly unqualified for. You were not made to run your life. God made you. He is the one who runs your life. But because we don't want that, here's what we do. We make fig leaves and think that we can hide from him. See, God is saying this morning, listen, if you cover yourself, here's what it looks like. If you cover yourself, i.e., good works, you think that you'll hopefully outweigh the good things you do with the bad things you do. And when you stand before God, hope the balance tips in my favor. If you cover yourself up with your good works or your religiosity, and you say this morning, you know, I think I'm going to make it to heaven, and I'll be okay when I stand before God because I'm Baptist. You're like, right? Or I'm Lutheran, Episcopalian, Methodist, Catholic, you, know, you name it, whatever it is. See, but all of that... Our fig leaves, it's just hiding. Your self-righteousness. See, God says, as long as you this morning cover yourself with those things and others, I'll never be able to cover you. But if you're willing to uncover yourself, if you're willing to expose your sin and admit it and stop making the excuses, here's what God says. See, through my son, Jesus Christ, and his cross, I can cover you. I can forgive you. In other words, if you expose your sin, I'll cover you. But if you cover your sin, I'll expose you, God says on that day. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He who covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it has mercy. So let me ask you the God question. Where are you this morning? Where are you hiding? We used to play on vacation. We'd rent these houses and we'd go places. And, and, and one of the fun things we did is we liked to play, hide, not hide and seek, but sardines. Hide and seek, everybody knows that. There's one person hiding, I mean, right? Everybody's hiding, I should say, and one person seeks them. But then there's sardines. Have you ever played sardines? Sardines is the opposite of hide-and-go-seek. Hide-and-go-seek is everyone's hiding, one person goes after them. But sardines is that everyone is seeking and one person is hiding. So crazy enough, when you're in a house, there's not a lot of places to hide, per se. So it was always so funny because someone, the one person hiding would always get in a closet. 
And you get in this closet, and it was never big. So when you, when you found, you're going around, everyone's looking for this one person. And when you find them, you don't go, you don't do anything. You get in with them because now you're hiding, right? So you'd have this closet, and there'd be like a bunch of us. And you'd get in the closet, and someone else would get in the closet. And it's dark. There's no lights on. The door's closed. And it's the summer, right? You get in the closet, and pretty soon there are like eight people in the closet, and now there's one person walking around the house. Come on, where is everybody? See, so you ask yourself, do you think really there's just a couple people hiding in life because their sins are that bad? Or do you think that everyone is in the closet? Everyone's hiding because that's the truth. And you know, there's really only one person seeking everybody in the closet. It's Jesus. He's seeking every one of us who sew the fig leaves together to cover up ourselves. He sews them together, and we're still hiding. Pastor Walker, how do you know if you've repented, truly repented? How do you know if you've confessed your sins? How do you know that you're right with God? How do you know if he's really forgiven your sin? Well, in verse 6 to verse 11, it starts like this. And here's what is true of the ungod, the godly. All godly people do this. In fact, the little bracketed part of it says, godly people do this. And at the end of the ver- verse 11 says, the wicked are like this and have many sorrows, but the righteous one can be glad and rejoice. See, it brackets the whole text. Blessed at the beginning, be glad at the end. And he says basically this, if you want to know happiness and joy and gladness, you want to have real lasting eternal joy, you know what you have to do? You have to do what all godly people do, he says. What wicked people never do. And you know what it is? You go from hiding from God to hiding in God. You see, the whole part of the first, you know, David said, I didn't cover up my sin. I did for a year. But, you know, when I got blessed by God, when I became happy, you know what I had to do? I stopped hiding my sin from God. And then I took it. You know what he did with it? I started hiding it in God. How is that possible? I, he went from hiding from God in God, and he took his sin. And see, now he took his sin, and he doesn't hide it from God. He hides his sin in God. He says in verse 7, look at the text, God, you are my hiding place. You're my hiding place. And, and in verse 7, and also later on in verse 10, he says, you surround me. All my enemies. See, God, I used to be afraid. I used to be afraid I was going to be exposed. I used to be afraid that my enemies were going to defeat me. He goes, but now I know this. I put my sin and hid it in God. I let him cover it and take care of it. And now I'm not afraid because you surround me. You protect me. You're the one who keeps my life. See, a person who understands the gospel is a person who repents. They repent quickly, joyfully. They don't have to be coerced. They're a a person who is not running away to get away from God anymore with their sin, but they're bringing it to him and they're hiding it and giving it to him and say, God, I can't cover it. I can't deal with it. You can. You're the only one who can. Have you done that? Have you brought your sin to God and say, God, I want to hide it in you. Pastor Walker, how? How do I do that? I'll close. You need to let Jesus cover it. See, your son and mine is so bad that I, he had, had to send his own son, his perfect, righteous son of God, 
to die on the cross, not just any death, that death, the shameful, horrible death on the cross. I don't like to think of myself as that bad of a sinner, but I look at the cross and that says, that's why Jesus came, because that's who you are. Certainly others are worse than others. There's no doubt about that. But the fact is this, that we are all naked in our sin. We are uncovered. And that's why Jesus came. And did you know he died on the cross without clothes? You know why? So that you could be clothed. He knows in your sin that you were exposed in your nakedness. But here's what he says, I'll take that for you. I die on the cross shamefully for your shame. It wasn't my sin, but I took your sin. And see, he says, I'll carry it. I'll erase it. I'll eradicate it and not expose you so that you could be clothed in my righteousness. That's our Savior. So if you think you're too bad, you're not. If you think you're too good, you're not. You want happiness, true, lasting happiness? Know this, that you are in need of deep forgiveness, and you can have it if you put your faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection to make the payment for your sin. See, and when that happens, you change your hiding place. And you hide it, not yourself, but in him. And that changes your whole life. Everything changes. Your life will be different. Your values, your morals, your lifestyle, your pattern, your view of how you see things, it will be completely and radically different when you find God as your hiding place. So can I say it one more time? Where are you this morning? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, perhaps you're here this morning as a child of God and you're a Christian, you know Jesus, you've confessed him as your Savior and your Lord. You know that he's covered your sin but you're not living that way. Even though you're a Christian, there are times you say, Pastor Walker, I still pretend. I still sow fig leaves. I still hide. There are things right now in my life. I'm sitting here at church and people knew it. Can I tell you this? Stop worrying about that because God knows it. There couldn't be anything more important than that. Would you this morning, just at your seat, right where you are, say, God, today I admit it, I confess it, I'm stopping the excuse-making. This morning, I want to let my sins as a Christian, I want to bring them again and again to the cross. I want to hide them in you. I want to know the happiness. Remember what David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You can have it restored. But maybe you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you've never come to trust Jesus. I'm not asking if you're moral or if you're religious. I'm not asking what denomination your background is. I'm asking, have you ever known the wonderful happiness of knowing that your sins are... I'm not just saying, hey, I asked God to forgive me because I did something really bad. No, I'm not asking. I'm saying, do you know him? Do you know him? Have you ever called on him to be your Lord? Have you ever recognized he died on the cross and rose again to pay the penalty for your sins. Have you ever said, Jesus, Colossians 3, my life is hidden with Christ in God. Have you ever put your faith in him? Not your good works, not your 
Baptism, and we're Baptists, but in Jesus alone and what he did when he died. If you've never done that, you can do that today. You can give your life to him, and he'll change it. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a Savior and a King, the only one who forgives sins. Oh, Lord, the psalmist says in another place, there is forgiveness with you, therefore you should be feared. Oh, God, we worship you and fear you because who is a pardoning God like unto you who pardons the transgression of his people? Lord, thank you for forgiveness. I pray for those as saints of God today who fig leaves in, in hiding. May it stop today with all the other excuses and may they come afresh and anew to restore their joy and their salvation in you. And for people who are being here this morning who may not know you, have never come to the cross to be saved, to have their sins forgiven, to give their lives unequivocally to you, fully to you, Father, I pray, grant them humility and brokenness that they might know the true blessedness of forgiveness by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.